married my father. <laughs> I really do. I totally. I mean, the, the, the things that, that he values and how he thinks about life is definitely how my father was. Yeah. Really? Good storyteller. I mean, I didn't pick him out saying, oh my gosh, there's my oh, dad. Sure. But, I, but I've noticed as, as the years go by that he's definitely very much like my dad. Sure. And, the, and the, well, and it's romantic to me in a way because it's the first time that he was really, he's not a real romantic talker, but he called me darling. And it comes natural when he did that. You know, it's not like a put-on thing. And then the song he said that was our song was I'll Waltz Across Texas With You. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. David get a little saucy, so be forewarned, your sensitivity is not their problem. The Literate Ape Cast is for people who can handle both their liquor and their gag reflex. Ahaha, psych! This is not the Littered Ape Cast, but it is actually. Uh, it's uh, the Old Lady Talk Show Express today. Don and David are uh, taking a break. David moved this week and uh, into a new house after living in the same apartment for years and years with his family. And um, Don has allowed me, Dana German, to uh, his illustrious wife and co-producer, in a way to hijack the show. And I'm here with Don's mother, uh, Jackie Volbrecht. We're currently in Wichita, Kansas, and anticipating a rainstorm. The sky is clouded over. What time is it? Like around 8 o'clock, something like mm-hmm. that. And um, yeah, we figured we'd just uh, do a little change of pace here tonight. The format of the show will be the same, but we're just going to do our thing and chat about all sorts of old lady stuff. Yeah, I have yet to get Gramps out on this trip. I'm trying to get him into... Well, the garage is terribly hot. It's very stuffy because it's a little... I mean, the high the other day was in the hundreds, right? So with the humidity, it's um, it's a bit steamy. So yes. I don't think Gramps wants to sit out for that long, but I want him to, to tell me stories of his tool collection and how he amassed that and what sort of hoo-ha that's been through and we'll get to that and he knows because he has a memory like that he can almost photographic but he can remember the year he got something and he can you know it's amazing to me because i can't even the things i remember like i'll remember this puzzle i won't remember the year we did it unless Mm -hmm. i write it on there you Mm -hmm. know i remember things but he remembers everything you know, where he bought it, how much it cost, uh, what he did with it. And uh, so he really can make a tale out of a hammer, you know, make it sure. a good story. So. Oh, yeah. 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 And he takes great pride in the fact that he has kept all these things for so long. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. with his clothes, sometimes I have to just make them disappear. <laughs> he had a WKRP Cincinnati leather jacket that had the pointed lapels. Oh, my gosh. It had to go. Why? Why? <laughs> because I couldn't. I would have been. I you can't look at it I anymore. I couldn't even look at it. So. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to let go of. I, I, I suppose that's just like anything. You know, your clothes collection. If you keep a collection of something. You know, it's just. 
even if it's coveted behind glass, it's gonna. Well, like, gonna, there's gonna be some wear and tear. Something's gonna break eventually yeah. in a move. Collections or, are funny because, at least for me, I've had many, and never and never have really completed any. My first thing I wanted to collect were Cracker Jack toys. And you know, well, there's no end. They're actually kind of valuable now, oh. but you know, I I would cl- I had put them in shoe boxes and I put them all kinds of places because I ate a lot of cracker jacks. But now I don't have any idea where they are. Then the next serious collecting, I decided I was going to collect snow globes from airports. Mm-hmm. You know, all of them had those little oh snow my globes. Gosh. So the first one I bought, I think it was in Oklahoma City, and I got on the airplane. It was before they monitored your water and stuff like that that you took on mm. but which would have kiboshed my collection anyway mm-hmm. but I set it down on the floor and stepped on it and broke it so I decided that was probably <gasps> not a good collector's <laughs> item but now oh I and then I collected teacups and that you run out of places to put them it's sure. fun to collect them but then you finally I gave most of them away and I just kept my favorite ones there in the kitchen over at the right. sink and well, there's one upstairs that's very interesting too, because it's like Vicky a clover that. leaf. That's yeah, a really she cool. She collected design. them too, and I thought that was really special. So okay. I kept that. But my magnet collection—that's what I finally decided mm-hmm. on—was the best thing to collect for traveling, yeah. because they're cheap, and you stick them on a refrigerator, and they tell you everything you need to know about that trip. Most all of them do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're fun to have. So that's what I've I've successfully done is is collect magnets I guess that's smart they don't Mm -hmm. take up a lot of space they certainly Mm -hmm. don't collect dust the way the teacups would (laughs) yeah yeah something like that what's um what's a collection that you thought that maybe you lost or you got rid of but you unearthed it and it was all in one place and you're like oh oh some stamps there for a while I was mm-hmm. collecting, you know, they had those, I, I found, and it had the Elvis Elvis stamps. I don't know what made me think these things would be valuable. It's so funny. I have been wrong my entire life, you know. <laughs> anything I thought, oh, someday this Without is items be of value. Very wrong Appreciating about that stuff. value. But anyway, I thought stamps, these stamps, and I like stamps anyway. I think they're beautiful art. Most all of them are. And mm-hmm. they tell a story. So I had my Elvis album covered with all my Elvis stamps in there and I can't remember there was probably $500 worth of stamps in that thing but you can't Mm. use I don't think you can use them now because they weren't the forever stamps I guess you could probably I don't know I I just stuck them back in the box but I I don't know where they are oh so they weren't postmarked no uh -uh. they were they were not used but uh, so but you still have them no I don't know where they are they got lost in the move and that happens sometimes. I've always thought maybe movers keep a box just in general, but they probably don't. We just lose them. Well, for a big move, especially since you moved, you didn't move out of state, but you did move out of town. Mm-hmm. Box by and, box, um, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of moving that you did yourself, but then there was a moving truck, I think, that took so some I don't of the know larger that items. Been, don't even tell me if they are valuable because they're gone. No, I, I just <laughs> I think that they were probably usable because I have been using old stamps that are oh, forever stamps, okay. and you know they haven't been postmarked before, so they can go through the mail. So their value you know. is still good. Yeah, yeah. They're the if they're you know they've got a traditional value. Like I've got some of these. 
Sugar Ray Robinson 39 cent stamps, which are great for postcards oh, or cool. yeah, yeah, if a if a letter needs should should probably have two stamps on it or something like that. It doesn't it'll it's like I'm overpaying for postage, but somebody gets cool stamps in mm-hmm. the meantime, so it doesn't matter. But there is a um there is a collage that you have it's sort of like a tree on a felt background that's a collection of pieces of jewelry from ladies in your family and all over. And I've been trying to get you to like I need write to out maybe... the story of all of these little mm-hmm. pieces that came together in this picture. And I should do that because you won't remember. I remember, you know, you think you will, mm-hmm. but I went to visit my Aunt Pearl, my great Aunt Pearl, mm-hmm. and I had just found out about their mother, and her name was Effie Van Tassel. I took this time in my life to track down dead relatives just oh, yeah. because it was interesting to me, and I didn't really know a whole lot other than just great. I didn't go past great There's so many awesome names in yes, your family, too. Yes. We were talking about what's... Her name starts with a V. There are oh, a lot of V Velton names. Or, Velton Nordina. Nordica. She <laughs> was named after... She, she changed her name to Jackie. That's who I'm named after now. Yeah. But she was named after an opera singer that my grandmother liked. But anyway, I went to Aunt Pearl and I said, tell me about... Because I had found Effie's grave and she wasn't with her husband, Samuel Fisher. She was in a potter's field. And what they did in, again, maybe everywhere, but it's a potter's field is where you put really poor people and they would put more than one person in a grave. Mm. And so Effie was in a grave with a baby that didn't have a name. And so I wanted to know about that. I thought, you know, how did this happen? Well, uh, my Aunt Vicki knew that uh, Effie had died in childbirth with my Aunt Pearl. And so... Then Samuel married another lady and had another eight or nine kids, which was not uncommon. But he was buried over in their part of the cemetery, and I don't know if he must have done better after she was gone because they had tombstones and everything over there. Uh-huh. So anyway, I went to talk to Aunt Pearl. What did she know about her family and about Effie? And, of course, she didn't know Effie in person, but I figured people talked about her. And she said, I can't remember a thing. She just couldn't remember anything about where they lived. She, of course, she was 95, so you're right. If I don't tell you now, if I live that long, I won't know what they are. So, And then some of them are cool. Yeah, yeah. But you have a pretty good memory. I mean, right sometimes now, you surprise yourself, mm-hmm. too. It's like the story will come out, and then you'll remember a detail. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I think old age does, at least for me. I can remember a long time ago just like it's almost a vision. I mean, sure. it's really interesting. It's kind of a gift because you can really almost time travel. But I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast, you know, mm. or where I might put my keys. So short term, I'm not recording much. But what I did record is coming back really vividly, and it's mm-hmm. it's fun. It's I mean, that's I don't know if you can be selective with your memory, but I haven't had anything horrible come back. Just happy sure. things and places I liked and, and people that I loved. So that's, that's, that's kind of nice. Well, you're also a journal writer, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that strengthens the connection. And I don't know if that helps you in terms of, you know, recording your dreams at all, or you don't really mess with that so much. It's more like, oh, I remember that this happened and this was a happy day and we did this. And I always like say that. I go. If it's a dream like a vision, I feel like I go there. 
You know, like mm-hmm. I have visited my grandmother's. I don't know exactly where it's at, but it's a house, you know, and I've talked with them and they're in rocking chairs and they're real. And uh, so it must have been a place they had lived at some time. Mm-hmm. I just don't know an address or a town. But uh, it, sure. it was too real to have been something fuzzy that I made up or put together. I think it was actually a place that they were. Yeah. So that's fun. A place that they were or a place that you yourself had been but maybe were too young to record Exactly. Yes. They, it was some place where I went, visited them, but I was so, so young yeah. that, you know, I just remember seeing them and them talking. I think I was talking to them back, but maybe not, you know, but it was, yeah. a, it was too real to be something that I made up. So what were I they talking those. about? They were talking about everyday things. They were arguing because they argued a lot. This is my great-grandmother. <laughs> nice. They're arguing about their beauty shops because they both had one and oh. they couldn't quite determine who was in charge. And so I can remember them arguing about <laughs> Power that. struggle. Mm-hmm. Power struggle. Nice. And Grandma Mary always won, but Grandma Jackie didn't ever give up. She always tried. But And they were both young. So that, again, makes me think I was probably pretty young, too. Mm-hmm. So, But anyway, I like my dreams. I don't have horrible dreams anymore. Like when you're a kid, you have nightmares Anxiety and dreams. And, mm-hmm. I, God, I can't tell you how many dreams I had about missing the bus in various... Missing the bus to school in various iterations. It must it was mean insane. something. Well, anxiety? it was no. It was just a standard anxiety dream. Because okay. if I, I mean, in real life, if I, where we lived in the sticks, if I missed the bus to school, that meant yeah. that I was going to be late to school. I would put my parents out. I mean, it was like 15 minutes down the road one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if it was snowing or anything like that, like catching the bus was its own weird, precarious it was uh, situation probably, yeah. when I was a kid. Well, it's funny. I lived, uh, my dad still has the house. So we were right, We you can see when when it's wintertime and the, all the leaves are off the trees, you can see the elementary school. You can hear the kids on the playground. Wow. Um, so I could walk to my elementary school and be there in five minutes. Mm-hmm. When it came to my high school, I was the furthest one out, basically. Um, if I lived, you know, any closer to the kind of larger part of town, I would have been in a totally different school district. Like if, you know, if we'd lived one hill over, basically, um, would have been in a, gone to a totally separate school, been a totally separate person. I mean, it, it amazes me that the sets of circumstances that come together to kind of create who we are. But those bus rides were long, mm-hmm. long. Did you do anything? Did like you read or well, draw? I or? did. I listened to a lot of music, and our bus driver was pretty cool for the most part. She was fussy about some things. Um, but the frustrating thing was when, and I make the joke like, I would go, you know, I should have gone to school and asked to be put on retainer for whenever the substitute drivers were coming in because they would they would show up early so you you know you think that you have some extra time to catch the bus but no you're running out the door because this first stop this this person's early and then of course they make you sit in the front seat or at least they did this for me i was like okay the kids the first kid on is going to sit in the front seat and tell you where to stop yeah. You know, they're going to yeah. lead you down the road. And that made it so that I didn't get to enjoy the bus ride at all mm-hmm. to school. I didn't have any, I didn't get to sit in the middle of the bus right. in my seat, put in my walk yeah. and have and private people. time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Cold, rickety, not not fun rides, for sure. Well, now I'm but... really going to sound like an old lady. We didn't. Have, I never did ride a bus. I walked to school, mm. but it really wasn't that far. I'm going to guess maybe it was a mile. We lived at the edge of town, mm -hmm. and I don't recall they had school buses, but it was for the farm kids. It was the kids way out. Yeah, and we yeah. and a lot of farm kids did come to the school. But anyway, so I walked, and I can remember. Did it feel like a long walk? Huh? Okay. No, it really didn't. But oh, it, it was, you know. But I can remember when I was in junior high, I couldn't. My mom wouldn't let me wear hose, and some of the girls were wearing hose, and so I would put baby. That became popular. At yes. The time? Oh, okay. yes, yes, yes. And it wasn't pantyhose. It was the garters and. Oh sure. With the yeah. Belt. And so mom said, no, you're not doing that because they were expensive. But so I would put baby oil on my legs Make so they shiny. would look like that. And then when you walk to school, you get dirt, <laughs> dirt all stuck <gasps> on them. Oh, no. So I was not really that glamorous on my <laughs> substitute pantyhose baby oil. But I did. Yeah. I walked all the time. And I can remember walking was a good thing. I remember the great big grasshoppers in western Kansas. Uh, during the 50s, uh, grasshoppers were just coming in swarms. Yeah. And, you know, they, they don't nearly as much as they used to. But they would come in, and so you'd be walking, and they're hitting your legs, and they were big enough. Jumping up. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't like that. So the, the different kinds of things, I can remember when it was so dry that my little foot could fall into a crack where the... The ground you have tiny up. feet too. Yeah. Like, what's your shoe size? Like five. I wear. Five? I, I wear. No, I wear a seven now, uh, but I didn't then. Yeah, you know, each child, my feet got a little bit bigger. But anyway, <laughs> walking to school was really. I'm glad I did because I I can remember a lot of seasons and things that happened, just on my walk. Yeah. Oh, the way the landscape was changing mm -hmm. and. Mm -hmm. The air quality and stuff. Yeah, You're and in paying a attention to nature. Exactly, you. that was my kind of my nature walk, I guess, because I yeah. did pay attention. Moments you can't hardly ignore a grasshopper that's splattering. No. Oh my gosh. Well, that when you're talking about wardrobe items too, I, I feel like eventually you probably got stockings or I don't know if you had an allowance or eventually like you earned your own hose, mm -hmm. as you say. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember taking, there was enough of a fight about what I wanted to wear. And of course I'm growing up and it's Nirvana and Pearl Jam and like the grunge, yes, Seattle yes. grunge kind of look, which is just... <laughs> Yeah, it's its own thing. It's its own style, but it was baggy pants and ripped shirts and and um, and a lot of stuff. It wasn't. It, it's funny. It wasn't ever scantily clad stuff. It was just like really crummy mm -hmm. clothes, ripped stuff that I wanted to wear. So I remember, you know, throwing a shirt or two, like wearing one thing and then having something underneath it that I would be changing into as soon as I got to school. Mm -hmm. um, and then either, you know, forgetting to change out of it or it didn't matter at that point. You know, yeah. I was at school far enough away. It's not like my parents were going to come to school and go, Bacha, yeah, yeah, you got to change. Yeah. So did you do anything like that? Well, yes, I did. But it, it, it was a radical time because early on in school, there were certainly dress codes firm boys had to wear belts they would be sent home if they did girls mm. had to wear dresses and skirts mm. and yes and so and and socks you couldn't come without socks and so it was really interesting as it relaxed we did get to we started wearing these well i think television maybe and the music when the music changed styles changed. bobby stockers soxers mm. you know and so we'd wear jeans so tight 
that I would, and then you had to fold up the cuff, yeah. and then you, I would lay on the bed with pliers and zip up my jeans, <laughs> and then you wear your dad. I was lucky; my dad was not huge, so you wear your big long shirt and your tight tight jeans and your loafers, and uh, I always smuggled uh, mascara because I was not supposed to wear any makeup, so oh. I'd smuggle it, I'd put it on at school, and then I'd have to take it off before I got home. Yeah. So, and then I, no clothes really, but uh, I remember the first school dance when everybody had a horrified fit about how we were dancing because we were doing the twist. <laughs> oh, we were suggested. doing the twist, and oh, they thought we had just all <laughs> possessed were going to by hell. the devil. Yes, devil dancing. Oh my god! But there was a lot of change. Maybe I, maybe every generation can say that though, but it just seemed like really radical to go from having to wear skirts and belts and all this kind of stuff to being able to wear your jeans, and we pushed the line all the time. That's know. a very that's a very drastic. That change, was a big actually. change. That was a big change, and my dad didn't seem to mind that so much. What he minded was the music. He hated mm. he hated Elvis Presley, and that just made me love him all the more. Mm. You know, I remember seeing him on the Ed Sullivan show when he came on, you know, and they only showed him from the top up mm-hmm. because, and my dad was just <laughs> loud and very colorful speech, and basically he said, good God, in my day, they'd lock him up. You know, he was just horrified by it. So that was true love right then. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. And Any, I, anybody else that he was not crazy about it was mostly the ire was directed to Elvis mostly Elvis because that was the one I liked but he didn't like it's not that's not music he'd always say and he would make me listen to Porter Wagner dad loved loved country music so I had to listen to uh, Hank Williams and Porter Wagner and Dolly Parton because that was music and he didn't want me to be and it's kind of funny my kids grew up listening to my music too you know so I guess that's not so not normal, oh. but he didn't think that rock and roll was music at all. Well, your husband Lawrence was a, a DJ at one point, and a, mm-hmm. you know has a few years on you, and is grew up with a lot of that kind of country honky tonk music yes. and stuff like that. And so, um, do you see any odd comparisons between your like Lawrence and your dad? Oh, totally. You do totally. <laughs> okay. I think I, I'm, I married my father. <laughs> I really do. I totally. I mean, the, the the things that that he values and how he thinks about life is definitely how my father was. Yeah. Really? Good storyteller. I mean, I didn't pick him out saying, "Oh my gosh, there's my oh, dad." Sure. But I but I've noticed as as the years go by that he's definitely very much like my dad. Sure. And the and the well. And it's romantic to me in a way because it's the first time that he was really. He's not a real romantic talker but he called me darling and it comes natural when he did that you know it's not like a foot on things and then the song he said that was our song was I'll waltz across Texas with you and I don't know if anybody even knows that song but it's really pretty it's really pretty so anyway no he's definitely country music and cowboy ways a little bit and that's Mm -hmm. how my dad had a quarter horse and a cowboy hat so yeah Married my dad. Do you remember that song growing up? That Waltz Across Texas oh, yeah, song? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of them sang it. I remember, who was it? that I can't remember now, but almost all of the country people sang it at one point in time. So, mm-hmm. pretty popular song, but oh, I liked yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of a ballad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Was it a good dancing song? Like, what was a one waltz. of your first it was a dancing waltz. songs? Mm-hmm. And he's a great, Lawrence is a great dancer. I am not, because I learned my first dance was the twist, and then we did the mashed potato, and then we did the jerk. But the whole point of those are we didn't hold hands, and you mostly yeah. just kind of gyrated around. And so Lawrence knows all the dances like my dad did, the waltz and the two-step and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I just more or less did like I did with Dad, put my kind of put my feet on his and went around, because I don't know how to do it. But mm-hmm. I say, no, yeah. it's kind of neat. Partner Did, dancing. It, it, is there anything, any qualities of Donnie that's like your father? Um, well, you, that's what I think is so funny because it, it, people say, like, you're, you marry your dad. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, this seems to be a trope with women. You, you're, you marry your father in some, in some way, shape, or form. And I think that's sort of... I don't know how creepy that is necessarily. <laughs> I mean, I do, I will call, um, out of an endearment, I will call Donnie daddy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, like, it's a natural extension of that. It yeah. doesn't have any un, undue uh, connotations, I, I, I think. <laughs> but, um, uh, if it, I mean, I always felt, uh, for the most part, safe with my dad. My dad was pretty strict. Um, maybe there's a, a streak of stubbornness that exists in my, in Donnie mm-hmm. that was similar to my dad growing up. I mean, whenever Donnie is, um, you know, pretty strident about something that's rather old fashioned, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll call him dad. I'll be more <laughs> like... <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, it's not a compliment necessarily. I'll say that, but um, no, Donnie's very uh, attentive and uh, will take care. Um, but at the same time, is we, you know, this is going to be seven years in September that we've I been know. together. So, and it seems like a, the blink of an eye, which is uh, goes to show that you know you're really with the right person when mm-hmm. time just flies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's taken care to, uh, give me my space. And of course I'm a, you know, way more mature person than I ever was kind of growing up with my dad. My, my parents had me pretty young. I think my mom was 24. She had, um, or she was about to, she was turning 24 that year, uh, when I was born. Um, and, and my dad's the same age. I mean, they were, they were born in 55, um, in March, my dad and my mom in August and, um, we're high school sweethearts and, uh, you know, bought a house in 79 and had me in 80. So, and that, of course the math doesn't shake out totally there but they, we we grew all grew up together in mm-hmm. a sense and I know that you experienced that phenomena mm-hmm. a little bit with Donnie too oh yeah in fact I always like going to the movie with him that was so fun because it's a time machine all of a sudden when we're in a movie I didn't grow old and he didn't grow up I mean that, <laughs> it is so fun so very fun that's awesome yeah it's really neat well but, we, we oh sorry go ahead oh I was just gonna say I think all girls, unless it's not all, I can't think it that general, but I think many young girls do. Their first love is their father. 
I really think mm. that's true. And not in any kind of a perverted way or anything, but they just you just love them. And I think subconsciously you will look for their qualities, you know. And 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 my dad had some some really good solid values mm. that I found later that a lot of people don't have. And it oh. made me totally unprepared for the world. Because it, How's you know, that? my well, my father, you just did not lie. I would I could go and maybe steal a car and get better by with it than lying. I mean, it was his number one thing because he would look at me and he'd say, "I can't help you if you don't tell me the truth." And I'd never really realized what that meant till I was a parent. And if yeah. your child doesn't tell you the truth, then you really can't help them. You don't know what they're into. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they've it's done. It's not a partnership anymore. Yeah. I can't yeah. protect you. Exactly. I can't so so he, he really did uh, have a strong sense of values in, those, in that way, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, very, very determined about family. You know, you take care of your family. You take care of your own, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And that's the qualities that I looked for and didn't see very often. Um, You you knew that you were actively looking for them? I think I did. It was, I would be so shocked when someone would do something that would lie. They'd, what? And that left me unprepared. Uh, Why would anybody lie to me? I believed everything. uh, And I guess people call that gullible, but it's just the you know if you've if you have not been lied to then you're not going to expect anybody it's just was kind of like a that's true like I was an alien on the earth <laughs> because I could not even tell when someone was lying and then I am grateful that I didn't become so bitter that I didn't believe anybody ever sure you know but it well, really was good. it was a really hard time for me trying to sort out what other people's values can be yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you were the oldest of two, uh-huh. right? You had a younger brother. Did you experience uh, anything that you would call separation anxiety when you were young with your parents? Oh, yes, because they fought like cats and dogs and they both drank. And uh, I didn't want to go with my mom when, you know, when we would, she would leave him and go live with my grandmother's mm. for a while. And I think they did love each other madly because they would get back together. I mean, this was almost like an every-year thing. They would split up, and I had to go with her, and I kept wondering. I knew in my little child mind I want to stay with my dad, not for all because of him, but because of my school, my home, my things. You dad know, he stayed, stayed with there. those yeah. things. So that, I think that was a separation anxiety, and it real, caused a real resentful, resentment towards my mother. Yeah. Because I think I would have resented her less if she'd just stayed gone. You know. I, I don't see. think I expected her to if she was not happy to stay there. Mm-hmm. But to just get unhappy, leave and come back mm-hmm. was very destructive to us. Repeatedly. Yeah. I mean, when when mm-hmm. do you think she because I'm sure she picked up on that coming from you after a while mm-hmm. you when do you think she started to pick up on that and then your relationship changed because I think that happens with a mother-daughter dynamic Mm -hmm. at some point for everyone it's like the daughter has to break away and become her own woman Mm -hmm. and a separate entity Mm -hmm. so well I don't think I don't think mom ever parented me Mm. I I I don't I you know I never did think of her as a parent because Uh. she would she would 
keep a list of my bad behavior and then when dad came home she'd say Jackie did this this and this oh. and then dad would have to spank me in fact it was just almost I felt sorry for him even though he was the one that was giving the punishment because he was tired you know he and came he's like home. I don't want you to tattle on our daughter <laughs> Please, he if you can help home it. And he was dirty because he worked in the oil field and he was tired. It's hard, hard work. Mm -hmm. And she'd hit him at the door with my list of my offenses. And uh, then I'd get, and I, you, you might say, Jackie, why did you continue to offend? But I never did know what would be offensive for that day. You know, I sure. knew some things, but you just, there was no way I was going to get through without being whipped. There was, you know, it just right. didn't matter. So, but anyway, I always, I, that is, that's interesting because you'd think I would have held him accountable for that, but mm -hmm. I always resented her for it. Yeah. Squealer. That builds character real. Exactly. <laughs> well, also too, you recognize that there's a double standard. Like your brother didn't have to go Never. through that. No, no. Our jobs were... And that was just the way it was. I don't think my parents were any different than most of them. The jobs was that I was supposed to learn to cook and clean and make beds, and my brother carried out the trash and mowed the lawn. So there was men work and women work, and it didn't take me too long to figure out. I wished I was a man because <laughs> women had a lot Not more, more work. to do. Mm -hmm. It seemed harder. Yeah, and my brother, if he'd get mad, he'd go and make the beds. Mm -hmm. And he didn't get in trouble for it. You know, so I, that's typical, and it's petty to think about things like that. But at the time, it was huge. Oh, but sure. I always, in all of the whole family dynamic, my father was the one that I looked to for guidance and parenting and safety. And Seemed to be the more stable. Exactly, yeah. 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 Wow. So, well, he just was more fun. Yeah, also, yeah, mm -hmm. sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a very storied history. That's a whole other podcast talking yeah. about Mr. Uh, J. Bowen. Look how we just wind all over the place. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, also, too, we you know we were talking about uh, mascara a second ago, uh -huh. and I remember the f that reminded me of the first time that I remember wearing it was that my mom set me down on her vanity, and she had this lighted mirror, and she put makeup on me so that I could be basically a fairy princess for Halloween one oh, year. Cool. I had a whole costume that she built for me that I ended up wearing like three or four years in a row. And by the end, I'm just <laughs> busting at the seams in it. Um, but it really, I remember thinking that it, it transformed my face and I was surprised about that. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess what I want to ask you about that, except like, do you remember the first, did you ever have a moment like that or remember a first time where you were like, oh, I'm into this, I'm a girl, I'm going to, you know, do girly things. Oh, stuff. I love, I, I figured out the power of girls with Ronnie Keeley. Ronnie Keeley, he was probably, I was maybe 12 and he was 15 mm. and he worked on his cars and he lived down at the end of the block and I thought he was pretty cute. I didn't, you know, I don't think I said that but I thought he was and so I'd go down and hang out with him and hand him tools and watch what he was doing and uh then he then he started to like me and all of a sudden things changed he bought me candy bars and on Labor Day he took me on rides on the Ferris wheel ah. and I'm thinking hey this being a girl thing is you know I like this I can <laughs> I can positive you know, attention yeah positive attention and you got stuff and you didn't have to pay for your rides and it just was really fun and that's when I guess I started noticing you know we had we I grew up with Sandra D and mm. the uh, Annette Funicello and the 
cat eyes. That was really, sure. you know, eyeliner and mascara. So that's when I think, once I recognized there was power in being pretty, I worked on it. Mm. You know, worked on doing that. Mm. So that was fun. Did that, did that follow behind getting experiencing boy craziness or was that in front of if any any boy craziness because all of i mean at some point we're we're jonesing for a partner Mm -hmm. be it for the same sex or the opposite sex but well to me it just seemed more like isn't that awful i must have been a gold digger way back when i was 12 but it was more about the stuff i don't (laughs) i like the stuff that's okay to admit that's you like the stuff i like the stuff and so i you know i i wasn't a really big romantic thing now my romances there was nobody could have been the romances i would get because i was really into you know all the romance movies and and they were so corny in those days and wanting handsome princes and all that well you don't find any in hoisington all right simian cohort here's don and david with the six things you should do for the week my first is gonna be a listen and i've been listening to the anxious and angry podcast and this this is a podcast that's been going on since 2014 these guys in this chicago band called off with their heads uh ryan and kyle i think their names are and I haven't listened to much music from Off With Their Heads. It's a bit harder core. I know those guys are on tour right now. They just dropped a, a, their most recent podcast, which is like, you know, they're up in the hundreds, you know, 200s with, with this. So it's been going on for a while. I just appreciate the energy. They talk about mental health quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, just jobs, pets. I think Ryan has a cat called Micro, and it's funny to hear about <laughs> the events that, the events of this cat, the, you know, randomness that kind of goes on in their lives. And also, too, um, I guess I picked up on it during COVID, and so um, the, I, these are, again, like Chicago people, super smart people, Um, and I also think, uh, that Ryan runs a record company. He, um, is at the very least like, you know, selling records and merch and t-shirts and stuff like that and, and making a lot of that stuff himself. So super smart guys. This is again, you can find it on Apple podcast. It's called anxious and angry. And I say one. Yeah. Okay. It's your turn. Okay. Well, I... (laughs) have really in my old age uh and I, i'm learning about other people they interest me and uh thomas merton i found this book and it's called well actually it was it was because of some other thing i like i like richard Rohr, and he has a newsletter and he has an abbey in uh albuquerque new mexico r-o-a-r Rohr. r-o-h-r And Richard quoted this Thomas Merton quite a bit. And I thought, well, I better find out more about Thomas Mm -hmm. Merton because I like the quotes. So what I did is I, there's, he wrote quite a few things, but I have a year with Thomas Merton, a daily meditation from his journals. And he was a prolific journalist. And so, uh, he decided, and again, I know very little about him other than what I'm doing in this journal, but he must have had a huge life as far as an author and traveling and an artist and a poet, mm. and then decided that the only way he could find God was to uh, become an, a monk. 
And so he goes to this abbey, Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky, and he lives with the Trappist monks, and he has his, even his own separate space from there. And throughout this, so he's extremely journal, solitary. Yes, he's he is he's fighting, he's struggling with his old self and the self he he thinks he he's wants to for. be. Yeah. Right, and he and and uh, it's just some of it's way over my head, but. Also, it's worth reading because some things will just grab you and you think about them for days. And it's, mm. so uh, I would highly recommend Good. something, but find out about Thomas Merton. A quality you, meditation. Well, yes. before you even sent me a copy of that book, A Year with Thomas Merton, I'd heard of Thomas Merton. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are some, uh, because it's a calendar based book, like right. you open it up to a meditation, say for uh, April 29th or something like that. Mm hmm. And you can tell they're taken, you know, from journals at different points in time. Mm -hmm. But he could be, it could be a meditation on the birds and the clouds that day, the weather, the trees, mm -hmm. um, and then veer off into something that you wouldn't necessarily think has anything to do with uh, God or, or even scripture necessarily. Mm -hmm. But there's just the intense spiritual meditation that is in it is it's it's just all right there for you i guess he's yes. very it's all it's very visual and it's one a great of the, visual book one of the times i laughed is he struggles so to lose his ego and it keeps mm. waits writes several paragraphs about wanting to become nothing wanting to you know no ego and then he says but of course everybody wants to be the pope it made me laugh. Very funny, right? You know, He's because, like zingers yeah. at the end. Yeah, so once in a while, I don't know if he intended it to be funny, but it just struck me funny because of the agonizing he'd gone. So I see mm -hmm. this. It'll be interesting to know. I want to know how he ends up because he is really trying yeah. so hard. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. I, I think he was a brilliant man. So you started this just at the top of this year. Yeah, this year. And, and so, you know, halfway I'm through. Today, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I never miss it. Great. I never miss it. Was today short or long? Can you read a little bit from yeah, today? Soon. Let me see if I can see. I better turn the light on or I won't be able to see. Okay, today is the 26th. He says, living in the only real city in America, Thomas Merton becomes an American citizen on June 26, 1951. He says, once again, the cloister is paved with flowers, the sanctuary white hot under the floodlights, concealed behind the pillars. High in the ceiling, you look up at the monstrous... The monstrance, I'm not sure what that is. See, I do this all the time with this. <laughs> through, <a cloud, laughs> through a cloud of hot, sweet smoke from the sensor. And the sweat runs down into your eyes. I feel as though I had never been anywhere in the world except Gethsemane. And if there were no other place in the world where I had ever really lived, I do not say I love Gethsemane in spite of the heat or because of the heat. I love Gethsemane. That means burning days and nights in summer with the sun beating down on the metal roof and the psalms pulsing exultantly through the airless choir while row upon row of us, 140 singers sway forward and bow down and the clouds of smoke go up to God in the sanctuary and the novices get thin and go home forever. What a moment. What a Is moment. See what I mean? It's just so wow. powerful. It's it's at least it seems powerful to me. Mm -hmm. That's gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful words, and and I my vocabulary is limited, 
but my heart's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I can still feel mm-hmm. some of these things. And it, my, many of the words he's using are Catholic terms that I'm not real familiar with what he's mentioning. Yeah. You know, everything's that's almost good something. too. I think you can yeah, build your vocabulary as you go. I, I do because I look like I'll look up that word to find out what what good. that is. So no, I, I love it. Yeah. So I would recommend it. Excellent. A year with Thomas Merton. So my second is uh, also a read. And this is from 2018. This is by Piper Weiss. It's called You All Grow Up and Leave Me, a memoir of teenage obsession. Um, I'm currently reading the uh, uncorrected proof from William Morrow, HarperCollins. Uh, This is phenomenal. This is like the memoir I've kind of always been looking for. I didn't ever think I would get into memoirs Mm -hmm. at all, really. And I find myself gravitating toward them more and more. Um... And, you know, memoir outside of the realm of autobiography. I feel like they're two different genres. Yes, in a they way. are. They um, definitely are. And I like memoirs better. Yeah, this is, this is messy. Because what she's writing about, I'll read a, a little blurb from the back. Piper Weiss was 14 years old when her middle-aged tennis coach, Gary Walensky, one of New York's city's most prestigious private instructors, killed himself after a failed attempt to kidnap one of his teenage students. In the aftermath, authorities discovered that this well-known figure among the Upper East Side tennis crowd was actually a frightening child predator who had built a secret torture chamber, a cabin of horrors, in his secluded rental in the Adirondacks. And so... So Piper, there were many times where, you know, she's alone in the car with this guy. Mm-hmm. And and she is, as she's writing this memoir out, and it's it's her story. Um, but she's, she's talking about, like, you know, how am I supposed to feel about my growing up time? I mean, there's, there's very, her voice is very melancholic in a way. She knows that she's... She's the outsider, in a sense. Uh, there's this uh, phenomenal passage. I'm going to try to access it real quick. In terms of, um, yeah, on, on page 248 of this book. Last year I played Feste the Fool in Twelfth Night, the biggest part of any eighth grader cast in the upper school production, one of the biggest parts in the whole play. I know because I counted my lines and then those of the other major characters. You're supposed to want to play Viola, the play's heroine, or Olivia, the girl everyone is in love with, but I found that Feste suited me. I didn't mind being called a fool, because the fool opened and closed the show. He was never entwined in the actual drama, never pivoted the plot, but observed it all. The theatrics, and the audience observing those theatrics. His purpose was to remind the audience and the actors that it was all a play, and with his ironic dirge about death, that none of it mattered anyway. Feste gives meaning to all the nights I've spent waiting as Bianca and Sarah, some of her best friends, played out romantic entanglements or listening from the bedroom doorway as my sister recapped an evening with a boyfriend. I've always believed my failure to be a main character, the heroine, the object of desire, makes me, by default, the villain. But Feste provides a third option. The fool is off to the side, but always on stage. He doesn't break the fourth wall. He is the wall a fictional embodiment of the author, there to remind the audience that all this drama will eventually end. And and that kind of describes her attitude at uh-huh. large. And that's uh-huh. pretty late in the book. I mean, I've still got a few chapters to go, another maybe 50 pages. Um, 
But this is stunning, man. Well, uh, you're in her mind, and that's what I think is so special about a memoir. You really get to feel like you're in somebody else's body when you're listening to them you, talk about their experiences. You're in her mind um, because she she definitely makes time delineations. Like, mm-hmm. we're in 1993 yeah. when all this happened. Now we're in 2014 to 2016, and I'm unpacking this with my friends, and I'm working in more of a reporter kind of aspect mm-hmm. um and is and am more of a writer you know and i'm grown up and there's all this time and distance between this kind of tragic or nearly terribly tragic thing that happened um because this the scary walensky guy nearly ended up um kidnapping uh, a mother-daughter Ooh. um and if you don't know anything about, I guess, you know, uh, stalking or, um, this is where, you know, things get messy because, um, I guess it, Gary wasn't necessarily a pedophile, but he definitely was a predator. And there are terms like grooming and deceptive trust development, a series of manipulation tactics used in the pre-abuse stages of grooming to gain a child's allegiance, secrecy, and compliance that are just like, these are really icky things and you don't, you know, you don't bring these things up in casual conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I just find the um, subject of pedophiles and pedophilia to be interesting from a societal standpoint because they people don't talk about you don't talk about you don't talk about Mm -mm. so this this book you all grew up and leave me is a memoir of teenage obsession by piper weiss is is uh very so far very profound easy to read Mm -hmm. about about this it's like it's a very unique perspective on all this so okay number two i this is the discovery of witches it's a watch and I love vampires and witches <laughs> and the I, dark side. Oh my gosh, the Anne Rice series. <coughs> I, I absolutely, you know, interview with the vampire oh, yeah, and all of great. those. I got to seeing vampires. I had to stop reading it because I was seeing them everywhere because the way she wrote it, they were here. Mm. Well, Discovery of Witches is a romance. It's, I mean, there's all other things going on, but what I see is there's this really powerful witch, and she's really beautiful, and she, I love this, it's very simple. She does a TV want, show, right? Yeah, it's a TV yeah. show, it's Episode. on Prime. Got it's it. It's on Prime, Amazon. and it's got, it has two seasons, I'm still in the middle of season one. But anyway, uh, she, through a lot of things, falls in love with a vampire. And so they are, and it, you could probably make it as, as, as if it was an uh, African-American and a white person, if it was, you know, a Muslim and or a Jew. You know, differences, mm-hmm. that's kind of what the, I see, mm-hmm. not necessarily that they're witches and vampires. But nobody in their society wants them to be together. And so it's interesting to watch how... Plus, I love the magic part of it, too, and, mm-hmm. and the different things that they're... And they're in search of a book that is going to tell the origins of all species. And so that's kind of cool. It sounds like a drama, cool. too. It is. Oh, it's definitely a drama, yeah. and it's definitely a lot of interesting characters. There's a demon that's the vampire's best friend. But it, it sounds so <laughs> silly. But it. I would encourage you to watch, if you like a really good drama romance, Discovery of Witches nice. on Prime is a fun watch. Great. 
Yeah, as you describe it, I'm like, if this had a humor element, it would almost be what we do in the shadows, which is a very yes, it's I a movie, watched that, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. super funny. But that's that sounds excellent. Great. Well, it's just fun and take it seriously because it's beautiful. I love the romance. Mm-hmm. Nice. Two seasons and you're only th- halfway through. halfway through, and I already Number love it. One. Oh, I have to tell one more thing. His mother, the vampire's mother, mm-hmm. hates the witch. Mm-hmm. Because she doesn't want the, the species to be together. It's mm-hmm. dangerous, she says. So she takes the little witch out. She's staying at the vampire mom's house. Takes the little witch out hunting. And so she goes out and captures a an animal and eating its entrails, you know. Oh. And the witch is just looking at her like, you know, I still love your son. You're not going to run me You're off that way. Scare but me. I thought that But I thought that was kind of a funny thing that the mother wanted to run her off. By taking or hunting. Being raw. Yeah, yeah. Tough. Awesome. Well, okay, my third and last is a watch as well. Um, basically, it's go to thevegasfix.com. The Vegas, you know, VGS, V-G-A-S, fix, F-I-X, dot com. I think you could also go to thevegasfix.tv. Uh, and access it as well. Basically, um, some producers, um, namely one that I met through a, a oddball um, work opportunity uh, back in 2019, um, named Bonnie Pascua, who's a, a brilliant, super hardworking um, Vegasite. She... Uh, she helped launch this and they it's basically like uh, an answer to a streaming online TV channel. Okay. Um, so they're creating a bunch of local content and I just I like that they're sort of getting started doing all sorts of stuff from the ground up and covering journalistic goings on like restaurant week or it just it's that's a seems to be a big deal in Vegas. Um, like a right around now there's um just kind of a restaurant fest sort of um i think that's that's petered out at this point because we're coming into the end of june here uh but i want to watch more of it basically so this is me saying out loud i want to check out more of the con and i'm looking forward toward the the content being expanded and potentially you know working on something for them at this point um you know, they're cooking shows and yeah. and some characters that are, I can tell, are doing, like, they're going for a diner's drive-ins and dives kind of experience. Um, so that's the Vegas fix. Well, I'm going to say go to your local farm and art market. And I went Yay. today at the Extension Center in Wichita, Kansas, but I'm sure many, many of your areas have mm-hmm. farm and art markets. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some that are not like this one, so I'd say if you go to one, then it's all people that have gone to, to Mexico and bought stuff in and didn't make it or don't have their own little business investment in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the one you want to go to. The one that we went to this morning everybody it's juried just like a a, a art competition you have to be the person that makes what you're selling or uh 
is a it's your business right. that you're selling it. And I had so much fun. You, if you go with time in a sack and twenty dollars, you can have the best time. I met the the butterfly man today, and he had super been, affordable artworks yes, and wonderful. consumables. We noticed super oh, affordable. Yes, stuff. people that make pies and grow vegetables and and uh, have flowers. But the but the butterfly man really fascinated me because he was so knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. But he had uh, beautiful butterflies. He had gone to Belize and caught them. And I said, how do you catch them? And he says, well, sometimes they're in butterfly farms. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't have to go in out into the jungle, but sometimes I do. But anyway, he was very knowledgeable. They were beautiful. I didn't necessarily that... They were beautiful to look at and interesting to hear about, but I didn't necessarily need to buy anything. And he was fine with that. Sure. You know, he was just a lovely man. And uh, so I really think... It will feed your body and it will feed your soul. <laughs> that little old Indian man that does his artwork, you know, he was just delightful. Sure. Uh, two girls. My sister-in-law are, is quite enamored of that artwork. Yes, yeah, she loves him. She I, loves, I wish I could remember his name, but I can't. But that's she part really of your fun is to chat everybody mm-hmm. up. It is fun, and uh, you just look at the potential. I love to see what people can do mm-hmm. with very little. I love to see their talent. And uh, it's not like being sold. It's more like being in conversation with all these different people. And I love it. And I think you you take the time to find it and walk through on that journey, you'll go back. So that's what I've got. <laughs> I love it. That's And that's the show. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any place you find your podcast Jones. If you enjoy listening to two white guys holding court, review or share the show on your own platforms, or throw us a few bucks on Patreon. For more information about Literate Ape, go to literateape.com and check out the rest of our podcasts, all of our writing, and our events. Music on the Ape Cast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com.